Good afternoon. Uh, the sermon text for today is Psalm 11. And let me pray for us before we begin. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to look up and to look out. God, you have given us eyes to see destruction and unrest, injustice, and a host of other issues. But God, we definitely need eyes to look up at you, to see you for who you are, and to look out, to see others, to love. So I pray, God, that your word would accomplish those two purposes today. In Jesus' name I pray. I think it should be said that me preaching was decided a few weeks ago. Um, it's been a crazy week, but I count it a privilege. I was trying to remember, I think I changed my sermon text Thursday or Friday, I can't remember. Um, but I felt compelled to go in a different direction. Um, Things have been really heavy. I think that's the appropriate word that I would use. And uh, probably for the majority of us, um, it's been heavy, it's been challenging. But before I dig into this passage, I just want to read through a few verses, okay? Psalm 30, verse 1. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Psalm 4, verse 1, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 5, verse 1, give ears to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Psalm 6, verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 7, verse 1. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all of my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it into pieces with none to deliver. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 12, verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. So I could go on. 
but I wonder if you hear the note that's being repeated through these songs, a note of lament, a note of sorrow, a note of, I need help. I think the heaviness that we feel matches the tone of the songs that I just read and the song that we'll be looking at today is a little unique. The songs are Israel's playlist. It's like their Spotify playlist. It's their mixtape. And after the first two tracks, you know, which talk about blesses a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands in the way of sinners, who sits in the sea of scoffers, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law I meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the streams of living water, bearing fruit in season, and his leaf shall not wither. When the sun is scorching, when, when trials come, he doesn't wither, because he's planted by water. That's the first two tracks, but then it takes this interesting turn, and it gets really dark. Our passage is found in Psalm 11, in the middle of that lament playlist. And note the title. It says, To the Choir Master, and from David, or from of David. This means that it's a song. It's meant to be repeated by the choir. It's meant to be rehearsed. It's meant to be meditated on. It's meant to dig into their hearts and stay there. Let me read the passage. Psalm 11, verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heaven. His eyes see. That's important. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and the scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Like I said, this psalm is very unique because it begins with a statement of confidence. It begins with a bold confession of faith. And I know that some of us right now cannot relate to that. And as I walk through this passage, I just want us to just meditate on where does David get that faith from? We don't have to have it right now, but by the end of the passage, let's at least know where he got the faith from, that confidence from. So three ideas, the wicked's threats, the righteous judge, and the upright's hope. Again, the wicked's threats, the righteous judge, and the upright's hope. Psalm 11, verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountains? Again, 
very confident. How can you say to my soul, do this? I take refuge in God. But why? Why does he need to take refuge? What's, what's happening? Somebody's giving him advice, presumably friends who care about his safety, and they're saying, flee like a bird to the mountain. Why does he need to flee? Verse 2, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. So David needs refuge because he's under attack. People are preparing to shoot him with a bow. And, you know, what's worse than an enemy that you can see? An enemy that you can't see. That's what it says, to shoot in the dark. Meaning, I don't even know where the attack is going to come from, but I'm under attack. And David repeatedly faced physical threats. That's clear. But, again, this is Israel's playlist. This isn't just for David. This is a Christian playlist. This is for you and me. What I mean by that is we might not be chased by bows, but we can relate to this fear that David has. Jesus repeatedly warned his disciples that you will face troubles of many kinds. You will face suffering. And I think in this season, I don't have to even mention it, really. Like, we know what it's like to suffer. We know what it's like to collectively suffer to see numbers on charts go up in terms of death counts, to see buildings in flames, to see articles and videos of people grieving, mourning. Things feel unsafe. They don't feel normal. Everybody's asking, when are we gonna get back to normal? Maybe never, what if that's the case? Like that doesn't feel right. Police brutality, um, I was thinking about this this week, police brutality this week especially was recorded for people to see. It's very obvious. Hey, something's happening over there and it doesn't look good. So then we see that communities were broken by that. They were hurting because of that. They were expressing pain and saying, hey, we are under attack. And that's why you see the unrest around us. And then, you know, there are some who can't relate. That's not their life. It's fine. We're different. But the coronavirus, you know, that invisible enemy who has it, might be in this room right now. Who knows? Who has it? It's like under the cover of darkness. We don't know who has it and who it's going to hit next. Enemies, arrows, suffering. But I think what's interesting in our lives that there might be people who can't even relate to that. Like they're just out in the wilderness somewhere living their life. But truly, if we really think about life, we have enemies. The enemies that Paul or that David mentions here are representative of what happens when sin fractures relationships 
with one another, humans, and with this world. So there's a brokenness here. It's not simply enemies, like who's your enemy today? No, there's a brokenness here. David is experiencing brokenness, fractured relationships. So I think it's wise to read this passage and say, we're not simply talking about physical enemies. We're talking about brokenness in this world that will lead us to fear and not put our trust in God. Matthew 16, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said to them, hey, I am going to suffer and I am going to die, be killed. Peter said, he took him aside. Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him and say, said, it won't happen. This is not going to happen. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. I think that's what's happening in this passage. People are saying, hey, David, flee to the mountains like a bird. Flee. Get away. And David is saying, the Lord is my refuge. It reminds me of 1 Peter 3, 14. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. It's strange that Peter could say, yeah, I know you're suffering, but in the midst of that suffering, you will be blessed. And I was thinking about that. CLC, Minnesota. This world right now is ironically blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed in a way that might be strange for some, but think about it. When we are reminded that we are pilgrims, that this world is not our home, alert, there are enemies out to get me. If you feel that way, and if it leads you to declare, as he did, that the Lord is your refuge, some people do flee to the mountains. They find refuge elsewhere. And they are to be pitied, according to this passage. The passage calls us to evaluate our refuge. Is our refuge really a refuge? Is God a refuge or is our refuge really a refuge? And I, I want to make a cultural observation here, untested but I'm going to test it before you guys. You know, back in the day, they were making this debate. There's this debate. Should we open up the country again or um, should we lock it down, keep it locked down so that we can stay healthy? And, you know, people were saying, like, why is this even a question? And at some point I was asking, like, why is this even a question? Like, keep us healthy. That's better than opening up the country, like, and then seeing people die. You know, that's better, right? Then I thought about it. Huh, maybe people are elevating work, leisure, to the status of life. So meaning, I work 80 hours a week trying to pay or provide this lifestyle for myself. Hmm, you want to stop that? But that's my life. Like, come on. 
that's my life, that's my life. Work is my life. Or entertainment is my life. You want to shut down sports? Like, that's my life. See, we have idols. We have refugees, refuges that we turn to that are being stressed right now. They're being challenged. You know, I was at the, I used to work at the Apple store in Uptown. And if you went there a couple of weeks ago, you would see these high glass, maybe 30, 40 feet glass walls. It's nice. A few days ago, I saw a picture. Somebody maybe shot it. I don't know what they did, but like splinter glass, you know, just just cracks. But it stood up. And I thought about it. I was like, yes, Apple, go. Got it. That glass is expensive and it's heavy. Come on, don't break it. Yesterday, I saw a picture. I didn't see the glass. I just saw the inside of the store. It had been decimated. All the stuff gone. Tables flipped. What did that mean? The glass was gone. It didn't survive. Idols won't survive. Before God, God is the only refuge. Before God, there is no other place to build your life. None. I think um, I just want to say thank you to those who checked in with me, my family, uh, this week. You know, I had family members who did that, but then I had CLC people, people around this world, actually. Um, I was thankful for that. But one text that I was really particularly thankful for was from Stephanie. Some of you know her, but she's... Um, in San Francisco or something. She's away. She's far away. Seattle, Washington. <sighs> um, so, you know, this was interesting because 2016, she sent me a similar text. That was when Philando Castillo was shot, killed. And she knew that he had been pulled over for a broken taillight, and my taillight was broken, so she was just like, hey, checking in on you, making sure you're okay. Um, I was thankful for that. This year, this week, she sent this message. Hello, beloved Barclays. Grieving about George Floyd and the seemingly more visible hostility towards black people these days. Just wanted to reach out to remind you. She's reminding me. That's good. To remind you that you are so loved. And I'm so sorry that black people continue to be killed for seemingly just existing in this world. This one hit really close to home and my heart cried out for you both and how you're processing this as parents too. Hope you find comfort and rest in Christ, praying that there will be real repentance and change and longing for the other side of heaven. Love you both, hope you are holding up okay in the midst of this. COVID and everything else. Uh, there's a lot here. There's a lot here that struck me. One, um, it's a very tangible reminder of God's grace and his care for my family. Great. I really appreciated that. And second, her words were so reorienting. They pointed me to a hope. 
to a refuge. Do you remind others to seek refuge in God? Do you seek refuge in God? If God is not your refuge, you should fear. COVID, police brutality, and a host of other issues are fearful things. They have real life consequences and are dangerous. But let that fear drive you to a refuge. Like pain is good for you if it gets you to take your hand off the stove. Cancer is good for you if it gets you to the doctor. Wickedness and brokenness are good for you if they lead you to place your trust it wasn't until yesterday that I realized that refuge and refugee are like the same like family words. That was crazy. I was just sitting there like, what in the world? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Those who find refuge in God are refugees. I never thought of myself that way. We are fleeing the real threats of the wicked, but are trusting that a refuge in God is so much safer than where we came from. But this is not the end. Um, as we seek refuge in God, we're not just avoiding suffering, avoiding our enemies. We are looking to a judge, a righteous judge. So second point, righteous judge. I've spoken to a few people this week about you know, how they're doing and, um, you know, they're just a heaviness. And I was thinking like, God, if you don't show up, people are going to start doubting you. People are going to start wondering like, what are you doing? Where are you at? Do you, is that what you want? Like you want people to just think that you're tired, sleep? Verse three says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Meaning if basic government, if justice, morality is gone, like things that we kind of assume should be there, the foundation, if those things are gone, what, what hope does the righteous have? You know, we see videos. <laughs> like I saw this, this video of this woman, Central Park, she was saying like, oh, I'm gonna call the cops on you. And it was like, just so sad and frustrating. Because I was thinking, like, for her, calling the cops is like, ah, oh, they're, they're, they're here for me. For George Floyd, calling the cops is, this might be my last breath. So, wh why? Why the disparity? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What are they going to do? If that happens in the police force, like what do you, what do you call the police? Do you make your own police? Like what, what do you do in that situation? Verse four says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. In other words, if the foundations are destroyed, you look up. You have to, 
what other hope do you have? You look up. They look to the Lord. Notice, the Lord is in his holy temple, meaning he's not corrupted by the wickedness of the world. He's, yeah, there's some separation here. He's on his throne in heaven, meaning he's a ruling king, ruling Lord. And I, I just wanted to stop. Do you guys believe that? Like, is that truly how you think of God? That he's ruling, that he's in control. For some, verse 4 seems like God is far away, not in control. But I want you to think about it this way. Like, God is, where God is, makes him best suited to deal with the wickedness. Like, if you go to basketball games, you kind of think of the ground level as the best place to be. You know, oh, I'm on the floor, close to the action. But that's not really the case. Like, the best perspective of what's going on is usually above. It's usually, the, you know, the cameras are not on the floor, they're above. Because they give you the best view of what's going on around. I mean, we're not eagles, so we don't see great, you know, when we look down, but God sees. That's what verse 4 says. His eyes see. He's transcendent. He is holy. His eyes see all. Psalm 33, 13 says it like this. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. God's sight is comprehensive. Proverbs 15, 3 says it a little bit differently. He says, the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So David is unable to see his enemies, but God does. He sees the threat even better than David does. It seems like the enemies are preparing to shoot, and God is just watching, though? Like, is that how it is? God's just sitting there watching? No, no. He's judging. He's testing. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. The good news is from his vantage point, he can see and judge rightly. He can decipher who is really just, who is really righteous and who is really wicked. And this perfect evaluation is so important because of what verse six says. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. You know, too often we get it wrong, especially in, in our criminal justice system. You know, innocent people might go and get arrested and go to jail, and then you read about it 37 years later, this innocent man was let go because he didn't do it. Or the guilty go unpunished. Like, we get it wrong. Like, in our best criminal justice system, we would get it wrong but God doesn't. He sees. His judgments are not biased. They are complete. They are perfect. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. So that means that when he sees us, we too fall into this category of wicked. And that's scary because again, 
let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur in the scorching wind. You know, there are parts in our lives that we are very, um, we don't want to talk about, we're embarrassed about, like we lie about, we hide as much as we can, because we don't want people to know. I was thinking about it this morning, like there are some things in my life that if I had to tell you, that would be a really hard conversation. We're sinful, we're wicked. We're not righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. But praise God for scripture that reveals that to us, that reveals that we are not as righteous as we think. And it tells us, hey, a holy God who sits on a holy throne with holy eyes looked at an unholy people with unholy desires sent his holy son Jesus to live among that unholy people and die by their unholy hands so that he could make them holy so that he can make them righteous not because of what they've done but what Christ has done for them you know sin separates us from God and God is on the throne high and lifted up but he sent his son to come down and dwell with us so that we could be restored. That's the gospel. And it's really important that you get it because if you don't get it, you, this is not good. Like you really have to believe and place your faith in Jesus. Like if you don't, it's not good. I was thinking about it this way. God said he will rain down fire and sulfur and the scorching wind shall, like meaning it will happen. That's going to happen. Judgment will happen. And, you know, sometimes I watch these old war movies where they shoot like bow and arrows. Then like, you know, arrows are, but then like sometimes they get struck. Boom. God is not like that. Every time he shoots, he hits the target. And if you're wicked, you will be judged. That's why this is important. He never misses. God never misses. There's no injustice that goes unaccounted for. That's why I've been so helped when I hear, you know, a pastor say, God will punish every sin, either in hell or at the cross. The cross is God's example. Hey, I take sin seriously. Hey, there's no sin that gets out of my perspective, my ability to see. I take sin so seriously that I sent a perfect, innocent person to die, and I did not let him go a different route. I saw him bleeding on the cross, and I would not let him go. I crushed him. I crushed Jesus. So you could see that sin is taken seriously. When all of your sins are placed on him, he dies. And that's good news for us if we place our faith in him. 
the question I have from this text is, do you hate the wicked more than God hates the wicked? Verse 5 says, his soul, the very core of who God is, hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. This is why we can't repay evil with evil. We are commanded to repay evil with good because we don't want to join the wicked. We want to love the wicked. We want to forgive the wicked because we were once wicked and that's how God interacted with us. And we have hope that if the wicked continue in their wickedness, there will be full justice not partial justice, full justice. Our hearts long for justice, right? Make sure that that justice doesn't fall against you. Make sure it, it's, you're safe. You've been covered by the blood of Jesus. You've been rescued. You've been made, declared righteous before him. Last point, the upright's hope. From this verse, passage, verse 2, you see that the upright are in danger. They are in danger of being shot. Um, but like David, they can have confidence that the Lord is their refuge. And verse 7 tells us something really important. It says, the upright shall behold his face. Their future has been made secure. There's a promise there. And that's, that's the Christian life. That's how it works. The Christian life is based on promises. I put my trust in God fulfilling this promise. I might not be able to see my enemies, but I know and I'm believing that I will see God's face. Verse 7 tells us another interesting thing. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And that word there can be translated justice. He loves deeds of justice. So I take this to mean that God is a righteous and a just God. He loves righteous deeds and justice. And he empowers us to pursue those righteous deeds and justice. We love what he loves, even if it costs us our lives. Even if we lose our lives. Why? Because we know that we will see his face. There's a promise there that keeps us from fleeing as we pursue what God loves. As one commentator said, God's love for justice, God's passion for justice, God, God being a refuge, and all of that, all that means, it's not so much a location. It's not so much, you know, where do I find the refuge? Is it over there? Is it over there? It's, it's an attitude. It's a, I trust in my God. If he tells me to go here, I will go there. If he tells me to go here, I'll go there. I'm not fleeing to the mountain just because you think it's safe. If God says, go, I go. If it costs me my life, so be it. So the question that I have is, do the wicked ever succeed against the upright? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a lot. Missionaries. Slaughtered. Christians, slaughtered. I think Jesus is an example, you know, when he was killed. 
one example that stands out to me that I think is worth meditating on this week, Acts 7, gives an account of a disciple of Jesus who was sharing the gospel with the crowd. And what happens? Acts 7, 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Verse 55, But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Notice, the upright beheld his face. That's what they do. They see the glory of God. They see the person of Jesus who fully reveals Jesus or God to us, God the Father to us. So what happens? Goes away? No. He was stoned. They threw stones at him. Verse 60 says, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he died. Jesus and Stephen and Paul and Christians and missionaries throughout history have all experienced some degree of suffering and then some have lost their lives. But because God is their refuge, they are beholding his face. I think, you know, this tells us something that we can can forgive. It's hard, but we know that we were enemies of God, and God reconciled us to himself. Therefore, we can extend forgiveness. Because we know that, again, all justice will be executed rightly. And we pray that they would be able to receive the grace that we have received. But if they persist in their wickedness, there is nothing left but judgment. So we pursue justice. We, we see someone in need and we think, how can I serve them? How can I care for them? How can I love them? But it might cost you your life. But it's okay. I'll go. I'll do it because I know I will behold his face. And real confidence is evidenced by how much we are willing to risk in our pursuit of loving the things that God loves. Faith and good works are never divorced from one another. So some of us need to evaluate, you know, what does God think about when he says he loves justice? What's in his mind? And then other, others of us need to think, huh, I have a desire to love God. I say I have faith. How does that express itself? How does that play out? You know, I like to think that this psalm was on Jesus' mind as he was preparing for his crucifixion. Like he was thinking about this passage, maybe is a reminder that the refuge doesn't mean safety because Jesus was perfect. He was upright. It doesn't mean safety because he was killed. But it does mean that we will behold his face. 
he, remember Stephen saw him next to the father? trying to remember um, these days that death is really likely. It's not that thing that just, you know, is over there somewhere. Like, it could happen. People are checking up on me. Are you okay? Man, I guess I could die. But I'm also trying to think about how the when and the how are mysteries to us in terms of when we die how we die, but whether we die in the refuge of God or not is our choice. So we need to choose wisely. That's an important choice to make. I had three points of application. I know I took a lot of time already, so I'm going to just type up these application points and send it to small group leaders. and talk about them in small group. But I do want to cover one. So real quick, let me just summarize this one. The threats are real. The reasons to fear are real. The reasons to flee are real. But God truly sees. He truly sees the wicked. He will truly judge the wicked. So therefore, we can be confident in our pursuit of righteousness, even if it costs us our lives, because we know that we will see his face. First point of application um, is lament. You know, with this psalm, it's it's a little confident. But trust me, there are other psalms that show how to lament. And sometimes there are people in your arena of life that are not confident. They're lamenting. So what do you do? Romans 12, 15, I think, says, weep with those who weep. So some of us, like myself, need to learn how to move closer to people who weep and learn how to weep with them. And then some of us need to learn how to move closer to people as we weep so that we can weep together. You know, one thought that I had is, Christians should never weep alone. They should never weep alone. You know, it's crazy. Like you guys in Minnesota, us, me, we have a really unique opportunity here. As we see people weeping around us, hurting in different ways, we have a unique opportunity to move a little bit closer to them. I know it's hard. I know it's uncomfortable, but we have an opportunity to move just a little bit closer and learn how to weep with those who weep. And I pray that God changes our hearts so that we would do that. And as we weep with them, it's important to remember that we don't weep as those without hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, don't grieve and lament like everyone else who don't have hope. We have hope. We have hope that God will judge the wicked And we have hope that we will see his face. That all rights, all wrongs will be made right and we will be safe in him. Uh, 
the other two points of application, pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And I'll explain more about that. And then act. Love your neighbor as yourself. How would you want to be loved if you were grieving or confused? Okay, go do that. Just go do that. I'll conclude this way. Those who take refuge in God have confidence that God will judge the wicked and that they will see his face. Therefore, they love what he loves and pursue what he desires. They live their life like Christ lived his life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. God will one day be more than a refuge. Like a refuge is a place where you go to so you can be safe. God is going to be more than that because there will be no more threats. There will be no more evil and wickedness. He will judge it. So long for that day. Again, this has been a heavy week. As Stephanie's text reminded me, and as I pray this psalm reminds you, there is hope. Place your faith in the hope that you will see God's face. And no matter what happens, like you could experience atrocities of great kinds, but place your faith hope that you will see his face and be freed to love others. Be freed to do righteous deeds. Let's pray together. Um, If you're like myself, you probably just need prayer for God to transform your heart in different ways. Like you realize that um, your life is very uh, sheltered or very fearful. Um, but let's pray that God would weaken our um, trust in different idols that we have, different mountains that we pursue, and that he would help us to trust that the wicked will be judged and that he would free us to serve and to love and to care for those around us. Um, There's so many different needs in our lives Let's pray that God would help, help us. And he's helping us not for us merely, but he's helping us for the sake of others. Love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So as we pray, let's, let's have our minds opened and expanded um, to those who might be around us as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded presence of sin, and the fact that we live in a fallen world with uh, suffering, wickedness, caused by wickedness, injustice, 
caused by sin, our sin, other sins. And uh, we're reminded that we can't get away from it. At the same time, we thank you for your word and reminder that you are above, that you reign, that you're sovereign, and that you see. And that when the foundations of this world are broken and are, are not secure, that the foundation of Jesus Christ that we can trust in, that we can bank on. Help us to continually turn to your word. And uh, no matter what circumstances are around us, no matter what sufferings, no matter what arrows come our way, Lord, help us to place our hope in you. May we indeed uh, identify ourselves as refugees under the shelter of the great refuge in Jesus Christ. Assure us and help us to find hope the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with uh, your people, uh, the local churches, uh, fuel the hearts of your people especially uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ in whatever ways that the love of Christ gets demonstrated. And we pray that you would use that every interaction, every act of love. Pray that you would use that to spread the love of Jesus Christ and uh, especially the name of Jesus Christ that saves Uh, we pray that in the midst of suffering, faith will rise, hope will rise, and the name of Jesus Christ will be declared and exalted in the Twin Cities, in the hurting nation, all over this, this country. We depend on you. We hope in you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his unchanging, unchanging covenant love, the love of the Father God, the fellowship, the strength, presence of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever. Amen.